Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. Last night, I was indeed featured on the season finale of the new In Search Of on the History Channel, hosted by Zachary Quinto. And boy, they did just a great job. I'm very grateful. Uh, Of course, In Search Of is an iconic TV series that originally aired in the late 70s and early 80s, hosted by Leonard Nimoy, who played Spock, which is why that Zachary Quinto, who has played Spock recently, is the host of the new one. It just kind of made sense to people, I suppose, and uh, my understanding is that Zachary Quinto has a, a deep, authentic interest in the mysteries of life as well. And all throughout my career as a paranormal investigator and author and researcher, I have met many people in the field of exploration who have said, I got hooked on In Search Of when I was a kid, you know, and watching In Search Of made a big impact on how I turned out and how I developed my interests. In fact, just recently I was, you know, interviewing Christian McLeod, the cryptid guy, And uh, I'm pretty sure that he said in the interview that uh, In Search Of had inspired him. And so uh, it was very exciting to have an opportunity to be on the new In Search Of. And, of course, I haven't really been able to talk much about that up until now. And the reason is due to the nature of the TV business. And what I mean by that and you've heard me say this before, is you never really know if you're going to make the final cut and you're going to be on TV and how it's going to look until you watch it on TV yourself. And uh, that's just a part of the business. I mean, I have worked on big projects uh, where we go out and we shoot what we think some great stuff and then something goes awry. There could be a change in the management of the production company or the network, or there could be something that happens in the world that changes the the view of a certain subject and the sensitivity that it needs. I mean, there are many, many reasons that problems can arise, and that project either never airs or does air, and you get cut out of it. And it doesn't matter how good you are, how I mean, this happens to everybody. I mean, I could tell you some very rich and famous people who you'd be amazed to to learn just ended up on the cutting room floor, but that's just how it goes in the uh, TV and movie entertainment business. So I didn't want to talk too much about my experience with In Search Of. I'm going to now because, well, for one thing, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. And secondly, it's not wise to do that, because if you don't know how it's going to turn out, then uh, you don't really know what you're promoting. So it's, ironically, it's often easier to promote things after the fact than beforehand, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's how it works. And uh, in fact, I knew, that, well, when they contacted me, and I'm going to tell you a bit more about that, but I knew that I was supposed to be interviewed for at least one or two episodes. They said one would be about Atlantis and the Bermuda Triangle, and the other would be about uh, curses and people who go out poking their nose around into research projects that um, they should be staying away from. And so they asked me questions related to those two areas, and it was uh, a great interview. But it turns out that um, 
instead it seems like they sort of combined both of those together into this two-part season finale and i had seen that supposedly the uh the Atlantis show was going to air last night. I saw that earlier yesterday just by going to the History Channel website and looking that up. And it was weird how it was set up because it said tonight, uh, Atlantis part one from nine to 10 and then part two from 10 to 11. And my understanding is it doesn't matter what time zone you're in, uh, it, it will still start for you at 9 p.m. Okay. So usually this is a one hour show but it was presented on the History Channel website as a, two, a two-part show constituting a total of two hours with each part presented back-to-back. So, And that's when I also realized that this apparently looks like it must be the season finale. So, um, so I didn't even know that until I looked it up on the History Channel. And then uh, you might think that somebody from the production company would call me and say, hey, uh, we're going to air this thing that you're on on this date at this time, so feel free to promote away, you know, and tell your audience to watch and all that. Nobody called me. Nobody emailed me. I didn't know that I was, uh, that I'd made the cut until uh, somebody tweeted, uh, hey, I just saw my buddy Joshua P. Warren on In Search Of. That's really cool. Congrats. And I was like, okay, I guess I must have made the cut. And so by at this point, the, the show is already airing on the East Coast. So I realized, well, um, I, I have like this three-hour or less window of time here in which I can let people know you might want to start watching because apparently I made the cut. <laughs> and so that's when I, I posted uh, on Facebook and I, I think I tweeted and I said, hey, tune in tonight. I'm apparently on in search of so that tells you the reality of um of how it goes when you get asked to be on on shows like this you just don't know but anyhow uh so yes i was indeed at on uh the beginning uh part i think the very first segment before the first commercial break i was on and then i was on again toward the ending and they just did a wonderful job, and I'm very proud and very honored to be on uh, the season finale of In Search Of. And, I, you know, I just really couldn't be happier with how they presented uh, everything related to me. But uh, I certainly what, did not realize how it was going to be cut together, that they were going to sort of combine those different things. So that said, let me tell you a bit more about my actual experience of being on this program because I think that you will find it uh, well insightful and uh, you know it's just one of those things where you get to sort of look behind the scenes so for me this all really began right about exactly one year ago I am recording this podcast on September the 15th of 2018 and last year on September the 16th of 2017 was when Hurricane Maria developed in the Caribbean and so uh, so again you know I'm recording the evening of the, the 15th so this is practically especially by the time you hear this this is the one year anniversary of when Maria formed which is of course quite interesting because we see what's happening 
right now in North Carolina. But anyway, we'll get back to that also. So at that time, one year ago, Lauren and I were sitting at our home in North Carolina, you know, watching the Weather Channel and keeping an eye on the hurricane activity because Puerto Rico had already been hitten, already been hit by one hurricane a couple weeks before called Irma. But fortunately, Irma only kind of hit one corner of the island and didn't do a lot of major damage. So by the time that Maria actually developed and just went barreling straight for Puerto Rico, um, it was pretty obvious to me this was going to be bad. Because we're talking about a storm that hit the island, I believe, at a Category 5. Uh, I think officially they say it hit as a Category 4, but the problem is when it came to the island, it was so powerful it knocked out all the weather stations. But there are a number of people that I knew or knew of around the island who had their own private weather stations, and most of them said, until my all my stuff blew apart, um, it was definitely within the, the mile-per-hour uh, wind of a Cat 5. So anyway, big, big hurricane, very powerful. 5 is the the most powerful um, hurricane you can get in terms of wind speed. And I remember sitting there at my house in North Carolina with Lauren, watching, as so many other people were around the world, watching Hurricane Maria just tear a line right through the length of that island. Slightly diagonal, but it covered the whole damn thing, okay? It came in from the right, and it ripped it to the left. I said, oh, man, this is going to be bad. Because I knew the infrastructure there was already weak. And, you know, nobody could communicate with anybody in Puerto Rico for a long time after that. So we, at that point, said, well, I guess we are going to just stay here in North Carolina uh, indefinitely. Because I had a two-story condo down there that I was utilizing as the headquarters for the Bermuda Triangle Research Base with various outposts around Puerto Rico with people who were taking measurements and stuff like that. So I had all this stuff down there, all this scientific equipment and other elements of our lives. You know, we had a dog down there, we had a car, you know, that kind of... And, but we weren't going to go back down there until we knew that it was going to be a somewhat normal situation. So basically we ended up being gone for six months. And when we went back to Puerto Rico, it became very evident that I could not continue doing the work that I do from Puerto Rico anymore for a long time. Uh, because, uh, the power and the infrastructure was so weak and so damaged. I mean, I, I very quickly made the decision. I have, I've got basically 30 days to go down here to Puerto Rico and close up shop and get all my stuff cleaned out and shipped back and deal with this huge operation of things to, to accomplish within a 30-day window. And so when we went back to Puerto Rico... On the way down, we paused and we spent a few days in Miami and 
both Lauren and I picked up some kind of bug in Miami and we both got sick as hell. And so that was one of the worst plane flights I've ever had from Miami to Puerto Rico. When I got to Puerto Rico, I was really feeling sick. And so I immediately started doing everything I could uh, medically and metaphysically in order to improve my situation. And the funny thing is, as soon as I would get better, boom, I'd get hit by something else. And that's when I quickly realized that so much had changed in Puerto Rico in that six-month period that my body was just not adapting to the bacteria and microorganisms down there. What you have to understand is that when the power is out for long, long periods of time like that, and all these bugs are allowed to run amok, and and by the way, that's one of the things that is almost nightmarish to me, all these people for five or six months who didn't have power, they would often have to uh, just keep their windows open at night so they could get some air in. And a lot of them didn't have screens. And so now you have all these mosquitoes that are coming in and eating people alive at night. So anyway, but the bigger issue is when you have a place that's out of power, or at least has very intermittent power for months like that, that's out in the middle of the ocean, what happens is all the normal water filtration systems start to fail. And so the water becomes contaminated. And so places where you used to go and snorkel and scuba dive and have fun will now make you sick. Um, not, not always, but it, the, the first time I got in the water, I got sick once again right after that. And Lauren didn't get in the water, and she didn't get sick, so that showed me that this was something in the water. But the, I think the biggest problem is that the people of Puerto Rico the business owners, the restaurateurs and people like that were so desperate financially that they would go out and buy food. You know, I eat a lot of chicken, for example. They buy chicken and they'd put it in their refrigerator and then the power would go out. And most of them don't have generators, most of these businesses. But if they do have a generator, then often they can't get gas for it because there's a gas shortage or the gas prices go up so high there's so much gas gouging they can't keep the generators running so they have this food that they've invested in trying to get back to normal and then the power goes out and it's very hot it's in the tropics and the food starts warming up and they they're thinking how long can i push this product you know and so they're serving you food that uh is not an ideal uh, state, okay? And so I would get various levels of food poisoning. The power would go out still all the time. And it was one of those things where, yes, I had a sunshine simple generator, but you can't run everything that you have in your whole house off of a sunshine simple generator. I mean, that would be uh, too taxing on the generator. You can't run your air conditioning and uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, things like uh, stoves and microwaves. You're going to zap your power too fast on that when you're in a, an extreme situation like that. So I had the Sunshine Simple, which made my life much easier than everybody else's. But still, um, I never knew how long the power was going to be out. And there were times we'd be out for days. Um, so... 
I was sort of sick the whole time, and nonetheless, we're working our asses off to try to pack up all this scientific equipment, big heavy stuff, get it shipped out of there, which is also an issue, big long lines you're standing in at the post office. So here I am desperately trying to get all this done within a 30-day period, and wouldn't you know it, that is when I got contacted by the producers of this show called In Search Of, saying we would love to have you on the new In Search Of. And instantly my eyes lit up and I said, gosh, I'd love to be on the new In Search Of. And they said, we want to fly you right now to Los Angeles to shoot with us. And I said, there's no way, there is no way that I can leave right now and go to Los Angeles and shoot with you. And come. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of, of a race here, of like a dire race against time and bad conditions. And there's no way I can do this. And I, I, they just... I don't think they could believe it. I think they thought that I was playing hardball or something like that. And I I had so many conversations with these producers who are very nice people, by the way. At one point, one of the ladies said, well, what if we actually pay to have some people help you pack up your stuff and ship it and move it so that you are freed up to come out here? (laughs) I've never heard that invitation from a TV production company. And I said, well, that's really, really nice of you. But unfortunately, this is not the kind of stuff that I can turn over uh, to another person. And, and not to mention the fact that, you know, it's easy if, you, if you're not familiar with Puerto Rico to, realize, to, to, to forget that I'm not in San Juan. I'm on the opposite side of the island in Bocaron, in Cabo Rojo. And most people who do uh, that type of you know, moving and industrial-oriented work only speak Spanish. It's a very, very complicated situation. I said, I really am happy that you're willing to work with me, but I'm just going to have to pass. It sucks, it sucks, it sucks, because I want to do this, but I'm going to have to pass. And I had just written that off as a missed opportunity. And, you know, it wouldn't be the first time in my life that I've had an opportunity to do something cool, and I just couldn't do it. The timing just wasn't right. So one of the producers says, well, look, is there any way that we might be able to do something with you, you know, remotely. And I said, yes, that's no problem. You know, I'd mentioned from the very beginning, like, I have a good, strong internet connection right now because I bought the biggest, greatest, baddest, like, uh, hot spots to bring with me before I went to Puerto Rico. Because I'm running a bunch of businesses and involved with a lot of projects all over the country, if not the world. And so... I said, look, I've got, I can do an internet thing, you know, and I've got a professional Skype line. But I said, you know, we've got a lot of options for something like that because I have professional high definition cameras and 4K cameras and professional microphones. And, and, you know, if you follow my work, you've probably seen, I shoot some pretty nice little, little videos. I said, I could actually set up a camera and we could have a Skype connection with the director, and the director is just directing the whole thing. You know, my wife Lauren here, she knows how to operate the camera and everything, and uh, 
so we could do this remotely where I shoot the, the good footage here and then uh, I'm being directed through Skype and then at the end of it I'll just I can either upload this footage and you download it or I can send you a drive or whatever you want you know so they're like oh no no the, the director doesn't want to do that you know he's won all these awards and you know he, he he's just he's really particular about how he wants things set up it's like okay well I'm sorry I guess it's not going to work then so this goes on for a while and finally finally they uh they acquiesce and um one of the producers was like we're very excited um you know we've done everything we could to get you to be here uh in los angeles or perhaps film with us in some other places but since you cannot do it then we're just gonna we'll we're gonna set this up remotely with you and i said wonderful it's still you know i didn't have time to do this to fit this in but i said okay fine so um then they asked me about the background how is the background going to work how is that going to look what are what things are going to be in the background what um what's what's the lighting going to be like you know so i have to go through all these test periods where i'm taking pictures of different backgrounds lauren and i are like well let's put that plant over here and let's take down that poster because that's going to offend somebody uh let's take this seashell put it there you know like so lauren and i are turning this area that we're living in which is looks like a a war zone with boxes being packed up and we're trying to create a, a little tv set and i'm sending them pictures and i'm sending them video clips and this is eating up time and eating up time and so finally they came to the conclusion well look here's what we're gonna do um we are going to shoot you. We're going to we're going to we're going to film you through Skype, but we uh, with this background, this particular background that you put together. But then we also are going to have you videotape yourself with a good microphone, and then we uh, will later take what we got from Skype, and then the footage that you sent us, and we will sync it up so that we have you looking good but we will also have you sounding good have you know i said it's all right fine so finally finally the big night comes i'm crossing my finger please god let all this work out so we've got this whole setup in our house I've got my computer there with a special high-definition webcam hooked onto it. I've got everything into my special hotspot that's got the best connection. Uh, I've got everything lit and all the objects placed in the background the way that they wanted. I've got a tripod next to me shooting myself with a high-definition camera with a lavalier microphone that's clipped up. And I mean, like I'm, you wouldn't believe all the things, all the bases we're covering. So anyway it comes interview time here i am looking at the skype screen and next thing you know there is the director eddie here are uh, here's one or two of the ladies that i've been working with hey nice to see you guys and then so the director's like hmm yeah i'm not sure about that background Uh, let's try this and let's let's try that well next thing you know he goes you know just turn out all the lights 
oh, look at that. That's great. He looks awesome. It's black, and he, there's a big floating head there. This is cool. <laughs> so I'm like, fine. I'm just glad. I'm just glad he's happy. Because, you know, here, here we'd spent all this time, you know, a day or two trying to figure out how we're going to light the background and move things. And, and now it turns out I get to just be the big floating Wizard of Oz head, which is totally fine by me. I think it looks good. And I think that we should have just, from the beginning, been like, hey, let's just have it dark and, you know. But so then we do the interview. After the interview is done... I I have to uh, upload all this footage and audio on my end and then send that to them and uh they didn't use any of it. <laughs> so so the total the background uh, set stuff they didn't use what we did for that and uh, and the stuff that I shot there and uh, recorded with the audio they didn't use that uh but it still turned out just fine. It just turned you know I mean they say this guy is in the Bermuda Triangle. We, he's only able to join us via Skype. They and I sent them some footage that they did use, um, with with in terms of like some clips, some pictures and stuff. But then, but the 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 stuff, the original content that I provided for them, I'm just a big uh, floating head on a back on a black background, um, giving them a little commentary, and it works just great. It works just fine. So. You can see why I was even more concerned that they were likely to cut my footage because that that was the only way I could have have shot it. And again, this description may be a bit laborious and perhaps even boring uh, to the average person, but, you know, there are other people who will find it interesting and will like to see sort of how this actually works. But And and so there's your sort of behind-the-scenes view of this. So I've been watching the new In Search Of series since it began. And of course, I guess just to completely finish off that story I was just telling you, yes, we ended up getting all of our stuff out of Puerto Rico and um, we were just, we couldn't have done it the way we did it without the help of so many wonderful friends down there. And I mean, just great, great people. That is, that's the best thing that Puerto Rico has going for it, aside from some of these scenic beaches, is just the absolute warmth and care and friendliness and uh, the genuine kindness of the people there. All over the island, it's that way. So, when we got back to the states and we had everything shipped back we had to turn around and almost immediately fly out here to las vegas because i was putting together my big event here at the excalibur which happened in may but the whole time i'd been watching in search of and i noticed as you and because i well last night was the season finale so i guess i've seen all the episodes now but i was surprised that they don't where they didn't really use that many experts in these shows. I mean, I've seen shows where just like, expert says this, expert says that, expert says this, expert says that. And they're just, they, they just cram a bunch of experts in there and then they flesh the rest out with, with you know pictures and graphics. But with this particular show, um, they didn't really use that many experts throughout the entire series um i certainly knew a number of them 
uh, like well Jeff Belanger of course you know I've known him for a long time he and I've been buddies and uh, he was on the season finale and then of course John Greenwald uh, from the Black Vault he was on an episode but having watched the whole thing I I, I felt uh, even more honored that they weren't using that many experts and yet they not only wanted to use me but that they felt so um, adamant about using me that they would go to these great extenuating circumstances in order to include me in the show and so I really am very thankful to Eddie Schmidt and all the other folks there with the production company and, and the History Channel who, who approved this and um, it's one of those things I'll always be very proud of to say that I have been on in search of and in fact um, they presented me in a, in a very positive light <laughs> so that's that's always nice so it's ironic it's ironic that here I was rushing around trying to film with them while scrambling together recovering from the chaos of Hurricane Maria that happened one year ago so that I could go back to North Carolina and now here one year after Maria what is happening in North Carolina North Carolina is getting flooded uh, because this hurricane is so big and slow uh, a lot of people think of hurricanes only by category because that is a reflection of wind speed. But um, no, this is a whole different aspect of hurricanes when they're when they're just gigantic and full of moisture and they just sit there and just keep dumping rain and rain and rain until everything overflows and things start collapsing and falling. Trees fall, homes fill up with water. Um, that's just you know as dangerous as uh, as the wind everything getting soggy and just starting to tumble over and collapse on itself and you know even though that's happening right now in the state of north carolina our haunted Asheville ghost tours are still operating every night like clockwork right on schedule and in fact some people have emailed me and said this is one of the best tours I've ever had because it adds a little extra dimension of spookiness to it you know with this this hurricane on the way so I always tell people look it doesn't matter if there's a hurricane a tsunami an earthquake the apocalypse if the guide can show up and do the tour then you're expected to show up and be a part of the tour we don't cancel we don't cancel and that's one of the things that we are, are proud of but now that as we speak, North Carolina is being hit with this hurricane. It's already begun. I've already started getting emails and links to stories about the gray man. The gray man. The gray man is a spirit, a harbinger, that for hundreds of years has appeared around the coast of the Carolinas, especially South Carolina, just before a hurricane hits. And after Maria hit Puerto Rico, and I went down there 
and I started talking to people who had lived through Maria, I came up with all kinds of amazing stories from people telling me about seeing these spooky paranormal harbingers of doom before the event, before the hurricane, and then all the kind of stuff that even happened afterward, which sometimes was even more notable and noticeable because it was dark, there was no power, and people could really see what the hell was going on at night when they're out there without their cell phones and things to distract them. So I did a lot of radio shows talking about how growing up, I was always interested in the gray man. The gray man being this apparition that's usually just seen drifting, well, I guess you could say he's sort of ambling along the beach just before a hurricane's going to hit. There are more extreme stories where people have said they got a knock on the door at night and they opened it and there's a man standing there uh, wearing a gray hat with a gray coat. And we're not talking about Civil War. I mean, we're talking about even before that, I suppose. I don't remember exactly when the gray man was first seen. But people are taking pictures of this apparition. And so I figure at some point I'll do a a podcast for you that goes back and, and just focuses more on the gray man. But it's too early for that yet. Because a lot of these people who were at the brunt of that hurricane on the coast are still not back on their feet. It's going to be a while before they can start sharing their stories with us their pictures, their experiences. So I don't want to be premature with this. It's too interesting a subject. So when this hurricane is, is completely out of the picture and everybody's back up to speed, then I, I, I want to take a look at all the information that's come in about the gray man and give you a report on that. So it's very interesting to me that before these hurricanes hit something changes in the environment that can almost give you a a glimpse into the other side well I hope that you've enjoyed hearing a little bit more about my appearance on In Search Of and its connection to Atlantis if you want to see a little sample video clip just uh, go to my Twitter feed that's at Joshua P. Warren and that's also how you can get uh, informed when I have a new podcast available for you. I have a busy weekend. Uh, Tomorrow I plan to be filming some stuff, and so I I doubt I'll be leaving a new podcast for you tomorrow. But if you go to joshuapwarren.com, if you go to joshuapwarren.com, you'll find a link to a lot of stuff I have going on. You'll find a link to my big event coming up in Los Angeles, right there at the top of the homepage. You'll also find my Twitter feed, And uh, you'll find a link to this podcast called Joshua P. Warren Daily. That's because I try to leave one for you every day. It's always short. It's always free. And uh, you can subscribe through various means or just follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren, and I will let you know when a new one is available. So there is much, much more to tell you about soon. But for now... Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.